Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I am really excited about teaching this tonight. I think that this will be one of those things that will be a little bit wow, just because it's... (laughs) It's different than anything you've heard because most people don't do it right. We're going to take the Bible and I'm going to show you exactly what God says on something. And I think it will be a help to you. Romans chapter 15, look at verse number 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And... I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Now watch this. That I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, here's the statement, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Tonight, we're going to talk about that word sanctified, sanctification. Now, this is a word that is used in religion today, and it is totally misused, perverted, and given wrongly. Uh, I did it uh, while I prepared for this. If you look up the word sanctified, most dictionaries, most places will say the word sanctified means holy. That is not scriptural. It is not right. Sanctified does not mean holy. Now, uh, it's accepted in religious worlds by that, and I'll show you why later. Uh, But I don't believe man's definition ought to supersede what God says. Let God be true and every man a liar. I just happen to believe what God has to say is better than uh, Siri and Google search and Wikipedia and uh, all the other things out there. God's quite able, if he could give us a book by which we are to live, he's able to define those terms throughout that book. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the word sanctify. To most people, the word sanctify, if you looked it up, means separated to be holy. They will say it means separated to be holy. In other words, uh, and I'm not picking on any one religion, uh, Baptists do it, Catholics, Methodists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, you know, all of them. Well, we have these things in uh, uh, the pulpit. It's, it's, it's a sacred desk and it's sanctified. It's set apart. It's holy. No, it is sanctified, but it is not holy. Now, I'm going to talk to you about that for a second here. Uh, this pulpit is made out of wood. Just like your head. Don't scratch your fingers, you'll get splinters in it. Amen? Uh, It is sanctified by the fact that it is set apart for a specific use. Does that make sense to everybody? This piece of wood right here is for the teaching, the preaching, and the singing of the Word of God. 
That's what it's for. It's set apart for that. Is this piece of wood supposed to be prayed over and blessed and people use holy spit and holy snot and holy cow and everything else on it? No, it doesn't make it holy. I know (laughs) there's people come here and they'll see me preach and I'll do that. (gasps) You hit the pulpit. That's holy. I've had people tell me that was almost blasphemy. Now, I have to laugh because the word pulpit, if you look at it in the Old Testament, it's used only one or two times in the Old Testament. They stood on the pulpit. It meant platform. (laughs) I have been on it before. I like what old Dr. Jones said. This is my pulpit. These are my britches. If I want to split my britches on my pulpit, I'll do it. I like that. Reliles used to say, this side of the pulpit's mine, that side's yours. You listen, I talk. And got it down pretty good, amen? Now, wait a minute. Uh, That's why it's my job to protect what goes forth from this pulpit. Bad doctrine, I'm to stop. Wrong music, I'm to stop. Bad doctrine in music, I'm to stop. Uh, The wrong people up here speaking, I'm to stop. Say why? Because this is sanctified. It's not holy. It is sanctified. It's set apart for a specific use. My dad went to the store, went to the mill, and bought the wood for this pulpit and made it. (laughs) He didn't go out and God brought brought a tree down and cut it up for him and it's holy. I didn't pray over it and say, oh God, would you bless this pulpit? No, 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 no. My wife and I were somewhere in the... (laughs) The music wasn't working in my truck or something or other. Or something had gone wrong with a little, what's that thing called? Thumb drive, that's it. A little dude jigger. Uh, and Christian radio was on. This guy said, oh, I used to be one of those guys that would preach and wander around the platform. But I've, I've come to know that uh, I'm to stand still behind the pulpit. Because I, I need something to hide me between me and the people in the word of God. If, if I go from behind the word of God, then I'm preaching in the flesh and not the spirit. I thought, you're an idiot. <laughs> Your head's got holes big enough to drive twin Mack trucks through. Some of the greatest preachers in the world, they only set their notes on it and ran by and checked it as they ran by. Now, wait a minute. This, this pulpit is not holy. It is sanctified. It's set apart for the purpose of preaching. This platform is not holy. But I don't think it's a place the kids ought to play. It's set apart for the purpose of the service of God and God's people. It doesn't mean it's holy. Does that make sense to everybody? Is it sinful for a child to play up here? No. Is it wise? Definitely not. Can I tell you why? Because when it comes to preaching time, they're going to think, well, they're in my playground. They're going to lose respect for it. And that's the difference. This ought to be a place of respect. Does that make sense? Uh, it needs treated with respect. Not because it's holy, but it's set apart for a different purpose. I have wood in my house. I don't stand behind it and preach. I sit behind it and watch my wife preach. I mean, uh, <laughs> now, being sanctified does not make you godlike. 
God is holy. Being sanctified does not make you holy. That's the key statement right there. It sets you apart for a special purpose. 43 years ago, next week, I surrendered to preach the gospel. 43 years ago, at an altar in Guatemala, Chihuahua, Mexico, I knelt at an altar, I surrendered my life to preach the gospel, and God separated me for a specific purpose. Now listen to this statement. It didn't make me holy, obviously, and no comment. It didn't make me holy. But God had a calling that I answered and I submitted to, and my life was set aside for a specific purpose. That's exactly what sanctification is. Just doing that doesn't make one holy. Now, uh, it's, <laughs> let me say it this way. Go to Romans 15, verse 16 again. I want you to notice the wording here. Look at the last half of the verse. That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by whom? The Holy Ghost. Now look at me. Sanctification is something that God and the Holy Spirit do, not something we do. You see... (laughs) I want you to notice it's in reference to the gospel. Go to the beginning of that verse. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. And in order to minister the gospel of God, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us so that we are different enough, set apart for the purpose of getting the gospel to every creature. I made this statement at the tent revival. Revival will not begin with lost people. Revival starts with God's people. Plain and simple. I know people that will measure the result of a revival by how many people get saved. I measure revival by how many Christians get right with God. Revival is not about how many people get saved. It's how many people get right with God, change their ways, turn from their wicked ways, and then they go out and start seeing people get saved. Now, let's, uh, let me make a statement here and then we'll jump into the study. Uh, sanctification then is for getting the gospel out, not for self-glorification. Not for self being lifted up. That means once a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit sets us apart for the purpose of fellowship with God and getting the gospel to our fellow man. That's what the word sanctify means. Now, let's jump into this. I can't wait to get to the good stuff. All right, number one, God sanctified the seventh day. Go to Genesis chapter 2. I want you to understand something. We're going to use the Bible, amen? We're not going to use religiosity and uh, church stuff. We're going to use the Bible. 
Look at Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. Obviously, Genesis chapter 1, God created everything that is. Genesis chapter 2. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day. And what? Sanctified it. Because that it had, uh, that he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now I want you to notice something here. He deemed that seventh day a special day. It was set apart for one purpose. Rest. The seventh day is not Sunday, it is Saturday. It later became known as the Sabbath or the seventh. Sabbath means seventh. And it was the seventh day. But I want you to notice something. Jesus started the church and the church met on the first day of the week. What is the first day of the week? Sunday. That's why the calendar begins Sunday through Saturday. It's not Monday through Sunday. Man wants our calendar to be Monday through Sunday. God intended it to be Sunday through Saturday. Now, you have religions, i.e. Seventh-day Adventists, Jews, others. They observe the Sabbath. They think it is a holy day. It is not. Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. I know that's going to shock some people. But hang on, I'll show you something about it. It was to be set apart as a day of rest. I think it's wise for every family to have a day. And rest doesn't mean you lay in bed all day. It means you're not working your regular job and you're getting things done and you're being together as a family. Uh, I get a day off, try to take one off every week. Usually it's Tuesday. That's when I mow the grass and trim things up and do all the errands and get everything done. I can get done around the house and get the flowers planted and trimmed and weeds done and all that kind of stuff. That's, yeah, that's my day of rest. Uh, now, it was so man would take a day and focus on God. That's what Sunday's about. It's not a Sabbath, but it is a day of rest. Now, it's not a holy day. I do realize that in the Ten Commandments, God said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. He didn't say the Sabbath made it holy. He said, you need to keep some holiness about you. And on your day off, don't forget God. By the way, civil law is what the Ten Commandments is. That was as a nation. In other words, shut things down. Don't buy, sell, trade, everything else on Sunday. I think we ought to shut the stores down. I think we ought to shut the restaurants down. Everybody eat at home. Now, I'm not saying it's sinful to go out to eat on Sunday. But... We will keep people out of church because we go eat. If nobody went out to eat, the restaurants wouldn't be open. If we didn't go shopping, the stores wouldn't be open. There was a day when you had to get gas on Saturday because everything was shut down on Sunday. 
And America was a whole lot better off. Now, (laughs) I want you to notice something. There's a reason we don't observe the Sabbath. Take your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians are not what you wear on your feet in the rain. Those are goulashes, all right? Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse number 12. Just seeing if you're awake. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse number 12. Buried with him in baptism. By the way, baptism didn't come about until the what? Church. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it, To the what? Cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a what? Holy day. Or of a new moon or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the what? body is of Christ. Now look at me. God said all of these things that set you apart as Hebrews is no longer in order because all of that was nailed to the cross and it's open to everybody and it's our responsibility to get it out to everybody. So all the dietary laws and everything else of Judaism is worthless. It's nothing to God. It never was, had nothing to do with salvation. It was just an act of separating them as God's chosen people. But because the Jews had gone away into idolatry and worshiping religion versus God, he said, we're doing away with all that. Those were just figures of Jesus who was to come. And all those things are nailed to the cross. Every last thing. The holy days, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the dietary laws, the meat. Oh, shouldn't eat pork. Well, you might not eat pork. But God said to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And he said, nothing is unholy or unclean. Now, yeah. Miss Piggy's going to die. Shoot her, Kermit, shoot her. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Now, we can get hung up on, well, it's clean, not clean. It's this, it's that. God said in Acts, everything is clean. It had nothing to do with all these other things. Now, I'm not going to get in a fight with somebody. I'm not. If that's a hang-up for you, don't eat it. I don't have a problem with it. But if I've got pork at my house, you're going to go hungry. That's all I can tell you. I like bacon. Doesn't bother me. I wish I could taste it again. Uh, There are things I miss. Now, hang on. Jesus started the church to meet on the first day of the week, not the Sabbath. 
So if we are going to follow what the very Son of God put forth, ought we not not worry then about what he said do away with? So, God put the Sabbath there. By the way, the Sabbath was more than just Saturday. There were other Sabbaths other than Saturday. You had Pentecost and you had many different Sabbaths. They were holy days. They were special days and they were called Sabbaths. And a sermon I preached, oh, probably six, seven years ago about the, uh, the wrong doctrine of Good Friday. Jesus didn't die on Friday and resurrect on Sunday. There's not three days and three nights, folks. I ain't real smart, but I can count faster than that. I went through the whole thing. And I showed how there were three or four Sabbaths that one week. And why he had to be brought down on that Sabbath. But he was also crucified on a, before a Sabbath. How can you have two Sabbaths in three days? Hmm. So we have to understand that word Sabbath doesn't mean just Saturday. Everybody understand that? All right, here we go. Number two, God had Moses sanctify the tabernacle and David or Solomon the temple. Let me show you what God had Moses do. Turn to Exodus chapter 23. I'm sorry, chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. When God had Moses make the tabernacle in the wilderness... Of course, they had the, and you have to understand, the tabernacle, the only difference between the tabernacle and the temple, the tabernacle was a temporary tent. Virtually, it was a tent that followed them through the wilderness for 40 years. And when they stopped, they would set it up. They had portable church, so to speak. And it was laid out with the goatskins and the curtains and all the different things. You had the outer courtyard, the, and then you had the main, uh, tent there that had the holy place and the holy of holies. And you had the brazen laver, then you had the altar, and then you had the table of showbread, and you had the candlestick, you had the altar of incense, you had the veil within the temple or the tabernacle, and then you went in there, had the ark of the covenant with the mercy seat on it. Those were the, uh, things that were there, they were holy, they were sanctified and holy because that's where God would dwell when he came to earth. Now watch this. When they got done building these, by the way, those were a picture of the ones that are in the true tabernacle in heaven. It didn't take God and Moses 40 days to write 10 statements down on a piece of stone. God gave Moses the blueprints for everything in the tabernacle. The size, what it looked like, he gave him the blueprints for everything. That's why it took 40 days. God personally took his finger and wrote them and drew them out. And he says in the book of Hebrews, the true tabernacle, the one in heaven. God actually showed Moses, I believe, pulled back the veil of heaven, let him look in to actually see what was in heaven so that it could match. Now, watch this. Exodus 29, look at verse number 43. After those things were done, verse 43, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. One time a year, 
the holy, holy presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God would come down and settle on the tabernacle. And his glory would be there. It was set apart for the purpose of God being able to be there. Is that not what that says? Yes, it does. Turn to Leviticus chapter 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. This is where Leviticus goes into all of the different parts of the priesthood and the, all the priestly garments and the, all the things for the tabernacle and all the different parts to it and what it looked like, the knobs and the uh, snuffers and all the candlesticks and all the engravings, everything. Leviticus chapter 8, look at verse number uh, 10. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and what? Sanctified them. Skip down to verse number 15. And he slew it and Moses took the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar about with his finger and purified the altar and poured the blood at the bottom of the altar and sanctified it to make reconciliation upon it. Skip down to verse number 30. And Moses took of the anointing oil and the blood that was upon the altar and sprinkled it upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons, upon his son's son's garments with him and sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons and his son's son's garments with him. Now look at me. Oh, about 34 years ago, I was ordained into the ministry. I was in a service. There was probably four or five times as many people as they're here tonight. There were three of us being ordained, myself, Brother Fisher, and another man. I was there with Brother Hiles. And he came, and many of the men of God that were there, but the, the men of God came, and he charged us. We talked, he talked to us for a while. We gave a little bit of our testimony. I had been working in California for several months, came back to be ordained. And the men of God would come and place their hands on our head and pray for us, some of the deacons and trustees and then Brother Hiles, some of the staff. And we were set apart. We were sanctified for the ministry. I've in my office on the far wall, my ordination certificate, signed by men that I know, love, and respect. Now, wait a minute. It didn't make me holy. But I was set apart for the purpose of preaching the gospel for the rest of my life. Amen. And I'm not changing it. Amen. That's what Moses did with the things in the tabernacle. And Aaron and his sons and his sons' sons. Turn to Numbers chapter 7. Leviticus Numbers. Numbers chapter 7, verse number 1. You say, preacher, what's so important about this? I'm about to shout. Hang on. Leviticus chapter 7, verse number 1. And it came to pass in the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it. And all the instruments thereof, both of the altar and the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them. And he goes through all the things he did that day when they opened up the tabernacle. Now look at me. So the tabernacle, the temple were set apart for the purpose of people seeing what God would do with the gospel, correct? The purpose of it was to show and be a place where God could dwell 
so that God's people could have fellowship with God and take it to the rest of the world. Correct? Take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I've been waiting all night just to get to this one spot. I knew what was coming, and I couldn't wait. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you're going to see something like you've never seen it before. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse number 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. You are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now look at me. Jesus did away with the temple. I'll show you in a moment. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit moves into a person who gets saved, our body becomes the temple, the tabernacle. It is sanctified by the Holy Ghost, by God. Every saved person is to be sanctified and is sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Lost people aren't going to tell somebody how to get saved. Lost people are going to act like lost people. When we get saved, God sanctifies us by the Holy Ghost for us to minister the gospel to get it out. Now watch this. This means our body is sanctified by the Holy Spirit when he moves in at salvation. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 2. I don't think it's 2 Corinthians... Yep, I was right. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he says, those who are sanctified are those who have been saved. We read in Romans fifteen sixteen that we are sanctified by the Holy Ghost. When a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, moves into us. And he rebirths our spirit. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 says, For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your spirit, which is, in your body and spirit, which is God's. Your spirit is God's spirit. He birthed it. He's the father of your spirit. Your body houses that now. And our body is to be as sanctified as the Old Testament tabernacle or temple. Because we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why when Jesus died at Calvary... The veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom, gave man direct access to God, and the Holy Spirit of God moved into man, and we no longer needed the temple because we became the temple of God. Now, turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. 
Told you I was about to shout. <clears throat> John chapter 2. Look at verse number 18. Then answered the Jews unto him, and said unto him, What sign showest thou uh, unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years this temple was in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Notice the Jews got all uptight. They, they, they got knots in places they shouldn't have. And we're all wound up about Jesus said, well, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Well, we spent 46 years building that. He said, I'll raise it up in three days because I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the temple of the Holy Spirit. Even the son of God talked about the temple as being our body, not a building. This church building is sanctified, but it is not holy. It's set apart for the use, for the work of God. But if someday we outgrow this building, we buy 13 acres next door, we turn this into a bus garage, guess what? So be it. It's not a holy building. Everybody doing okay? Y'all y'all laughing. I'm showing you where we're headed, amen? So... I said, first of all, God sanctified the Sabbath, the seventh day. Moses sanctified the tabernacle, the temple, David, and, uh, and all the way through. God says we, as Christians, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we're to be sanctified. Number three. That means when we Christians... Uh, what we Christians do to and with our body should be in line with what God wants since we are sanctified as the temple or the tabernacle of God. Yes, now, I'm not going to get unkind. I'm not going to get mean. I'm not going to do any of that. But I want you to go to Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read to you what God says. So don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now, everybody look at me for a second. If we are saved, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, correct? Yes, so what we do in and with our body represents God, not just us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse number 1. For this we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, that's talking about what? Our body. We're dissolved. We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. 
In other words, we wish we had our heavenly body right now, not this earthly one that hurts so bad. If so, be that being clothed, we shall not be found, what? Naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not uh, for that would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now, everybody look at me for a second. God says, then what we wear is important. We ought not be found naked. I could take you to the book of Isaiah and show you where God says, and it's not talking about women, it's talking about people, man or woman. We're not supposed to show our thigh. God says, don't be found naked. Don't uncover the thigh. Well, the thigh begins at the knee. I don't think we ought to be walking around with our thighs hanging out. Uh, I don't think there's certain parts of the anatomy everybody ought to see. And just because you painted a different color and sit down on sand and water doesn't make it right. There's people who wear less to, the, to, to swim in at a beach than most people wear for underwear. I say that sensitively on purpose. <laughs> you wouldn't let your kids walk down the road in their underwear. But what do we let them go to the beach or swim in? And we wonder why we have the problems we have in our country. Everybody doing okay? So how we dress is important. I believe this is true at home. I believe it's true at church. I don't tell anybody what to do. But if you're going to be in an area of service here, I want us to dress the way God wants us to dress. Does that make sense? You're not going to wear a Burger King outfit to work at Chick-fil-A. Say, preacher, then why do we want to wear the world's uniform to, to serve at church? It doesn't make sense. So if we're going to serve in church, especially in public purview, uh, choir, Sunday school teachers, ushers, uh, bus workers, nursery workers, those kinds of things, I think we ought, and Sunday school teachers and assistants, I think we ought to step up and dress the way God would want us to dress at church, at least. I don't think that's asking too much. If you go to work somewhere, they'll have a dress code. Doesn't matter where you work, unless you work in a news colony. <laughs> then they're still going to dictate what you don't wear. <laughs> so they have an undress policy, amen? Uh, I guess. I don't know. Brother Steve told me that. Uh, <laughs> now, wait a minute. I think this is where I get a little cross with, with some people that get a little upset with me. But I think when we go out soul winning, we ought to represent God and the church the same way. I'm not saying you can't pass out tracts and witness when you're not dressed in church clothes, but I think when we officially go out representing church, we all get dressed up. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to wear a three-piece suit when it's 140 degrees outside. But I always wear a shirt and tie. Say why? Because I represent God. I'm doing his work. I'm sanctified. I can jump out of the gas station. And somebody says, ooh, you must, you must be important. You must be a lawyer or a doctor. I said, no, I make an honest living. I'm a preacher. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> wait a minute. People see our sanctification, but our sanctification is by God, not by man. We don't do it to be sanctified. We do it because we are 
sanctified. God doesn't come down and beat you over the head. But he wants us to step up and do it. We'll reach more people that way. I used this illustration not, not long ago. You take the Jesus freaks and the hippies of the 70s, smoking their dope, with growing their men growing their hair long, and women dressing like a bunch of reprobates, and men dressing like reprobates, and let's just talk about Jesus, man, the man upstairs. They didn't get anybody saved. Nobody wanted that garbage. They didn't get anybody closer to God. If anything, they drew them away from God. They made fun of preachers like me that stand up here and preach dressed in a suit. But guess what? They didn't doubt what I am. Everybody doing okay? Why? I'm sanctified. I'm not trying to be like the world to reach the world. God says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Why? Because we are the temple of God. We're to be sanctified. Sanctification is for being used by God, not so that we can look good or brag to other people how sanctified we are. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I promise I only have two other passages, and I'll make a few statements and I'm done. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse number 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also useful lusts. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, we are to be sanctified so that others can see God, not so others can see us. It's not about us. It's about him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Just a few pages over to the right there. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse number 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Well, who are we sanctified by? The Holy Ghost, Romans 15, 16, or 16, 15. 15, 16, sorry. Knew it came out wrong. We are sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So we who are sanctified... And the one who sanctified us, the Holy Spirit, it says here, for both the sanctifieth, he that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified are all of one. That's why we're brethren. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Almost done. I'm going to read real fast. Lick your finger and follow along. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse number 10. Well, let's read verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering of the offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. 
But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for the sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant which I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. In other words, no need for another offering because he took care of it once and for all. Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. Oh, what's the veil from? The temple. That is to say his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another uh, to provoke uh, unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for them of judgment and the fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who shall be trodden underfoot the Son of God. Hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. And hath done despite the spirit of grace. Wow. Now look at me. I want you to notice sanctification comes with a responsibility. Church doesn't sanctify you, but it'll teach you how to live the sanctified life. The Bible will teach you how to live the sanctified life. The Holy Spirit will guide you to live the sanctified life. But you don't sanctify yourself. It is not something you do, it's something you had done to you the moment you got saved. Then we have to develop it so others can get the gospel. Sanctification is not for others to see our holiness, it's for them to see our service. Religion uses sanctification for holiness. And to cause someone to want or uh, to honor them instead of God. When we start calling somebody the most holy reverend, look out. That's reserved for God. I'll quit. Our sanctification is so that God can use our life, our body, and all that we do to get the gospel out so, is, so man has a chance to be saved. It is not for people to see our holiness or how wonderful we are. <laughs> We're still sinners. Only the Holy Spirit allows us to be set apart so that we can get the gospel out. Sanctification is not about our holiness. 
It is a setting apart. It's like this old chunk of wood. Just an old tree. No idea where it grew or where it came from. That tree had no idea. Can I tell you something? There could be parts of that tree that were used to build a bar somewhere and serve liquor on. Same tree. Just the purpose of this part of the tree was used and it was sanctified. Not made holy. It was just set apart for a specific use. Thank God for sanctification. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. I know I just untaught an awful lot. I know that it's foreign to many of you. But I probably just gave you 45 or 50 verses on sanctification from God's point of view, not man's or religion's. It's all about God, not about us.